Welcome to Digital Packaging Disruption from CMYK. Here's your host, Dustin Stearman. Welcome back to Digital Packaging Disruption. Today, I am joined by Tyler Thompson, Solutions Director with Tilia Labs. And I'm really excited to be jumping into today's chat, talking about the future of workflow, automation, AI, things that you don't typically hear when you're talking about packaging. Thanks for jumping on today, Tyler. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, Dustin. Thanks for the invite. Happy to join. Right on. So, you know, just we haven't connected before. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, noticed that you've been around this space for a while. Did you grow up around anybody that was in print packaging? What led you down the path of of print? Because it looks like you've been in this space for dating back to college. Yeah, crazy. I guess it's been what 10 years now since school. Yeah, I guess how did I start? I I moved around a lot when I was yeah, middle school, high school, and ended up in my senior year of high school, I uh, graduated from Pewaukee High School, just right outside of Milwaukee. And I had a high school teacher that had started a just a graphics program. He had retired from Quad Graphics, which is, you know, their HQs right there in Milwaukee area. So yeah, he had retired from Quad and then started this little, you know, at the high school, like a graphics program where we were doing, you know, basic high school graphics stuff, like exposing film and learning about the software, the Adobe suite, creating screens and, and printing t-shirts, you know, and then doing some, some basic, yeah, like little duplicator type work. So that's where I got exposed to it was, was actually in high school, my senior year. Yeah. When I was kind of looking around at, at schools to go to in college, my dad had moved to South Carolina and just wanted to get south it's cold up in wisconsin so was looking around and clemson was uh yeah in, in the upstate area where my dad was at and they had a great printing program ironically i was like oh i know a bit about this so yeah you know i was just looking for a bachelor of science and, and in the bs i was like well what what can i do i could do general business or still get a bs and and you know get more into printing and packaging so yeah, talked to a couple of the professors and kind of yeah, fell in love with it. So I studied printing and packaging at Clemson and then got connected through the Sunoco Institute to ESCO. They're a huge, huge donor to the Clemson program. And yeah, that's kind of how I came in into the industry and I haven't left since. Right on. Yeah, it's one of those things. <laughs> Typically, when you get into it, you stay around it. It's, it's, you know, I've spent 17 years in this space too. I grew up around it. At one point, I thought about leaving, but it seemed to just pull me right back in. So there's just so much opportunity, right? And it's fun, you know, if, if you're working in a place where it's innovative, uh, tech forward, it's just you're building the future every day. So I could see why you decided to stay around. Yeah. You're right. Like the other piece of it that really kind of drew me in and, and kept me in was the whole kind of tech side of it. I was always, you know, had a had a knack for just software in general and, and technology and ended up getting, you know, a master's in computer science. And the industry, I mean, it's turning into that, right? I, I think every manufacturing industry is turning into who who has the most automation and optimization and best systems. Print is really no different. So yeah, it's you know the the print side of things that like kind of art side of things coupled with technology and software. It's, it is a really interesting and still really green, just wide open with opportunity. So yeah, it's interesting, right? Like I think that from a recruiting standpoint today, if you're a packaging business and you're looking at how do we develop the next generation of our workforce and bring in new talent, leaning on that tech. And embracing that within your organization is something that you're utilizing to reinvent your business or you know, figure out how you're going to tackle the future. To me, it seems like a great opportunity to leverage that to bring in, you know, rising talent, which you know, they think about the tech industry, they don't think about packaging, but there's this massive opportunity here in packaging to deploy tech and be a tech forward business and tech-centric business. And where I'm going with this is I'd love to hear your thoughts of somebody who's studied it, really been around it their entire career. Like, like what's an easy entry point for a converter, let's say, to start to understand the value of 
placing tech at their core um, as a way to help bring people like you and me into their organization to help them think outside of the box. And you know, I, I think that this applies to conventional printers. It applies to digital printers. But love to hear your thoughts on that. Like, where would you encourage a company just getting started to you know, start to lay down the bricks for the future when it comes to a tech-enabled packaging company? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think you know, just even if we we go a, a bit more of a macro level or, or take a even a step back, it's like our industry does a horrible job selling ourselves. You know, like. The print industry, the packaging industry in general, I think has done just a terrible job marketing ourselves to the, the younger generation. Like when our age group or, or the, the even the, the generation beneath us uh, that are starting to enter the workforce, when they think of print, they think of this, you know, like newspapers and stuff and not tech, right? And I think just as a, as a whole, our industry needs to do a much better job of marketing ourselves. And, you know, you're starting that, right? And like, it's it's these types of engagements. It's this type of activity that, that we need more of in, in our industry. We need podcasts, we need ideas, and we need to, to market and share the message of the industry. I think we just do a really bad job of that as an industry as a whole. But yeah, I guess uh, down at printer converter level, and even, even more challenging, right? Because we've done such a bad job as an industry marketing ourselves, the printer converter is kind of the recipient of, of that poor marketing. So it's a good question. It's a really good question. And I, and I think that we just have to we definitely have to do a better job or we're not going to attract talent. You know, we're not going to have these younger, smarter recruits coming in and, and knowing much about our industry. But I think it starts there, really. I think at more of a macro level, like how do we do more of these types of engagements to target the youth and, totally. and make sure that they know we exist when they're out there looking? It's where my head goes. It's something that's crossed my mind. I mean, it, it comes down to how much time is in the day. I've quickly found in this newer chapter of my career over the past eight months. But, you know, a big part of what, you know, why I started the podcast, my passion is very much is to create awareness around the space. And to your point, I think we do need to get to the youth in school, create awareness of this really fascinating industry, necessary industry, industry that's going through a transformation and is very much at the front end. And we need different types of thinkers around the table to help us really rethink how we execute in this industry, how we operate. And I look at it, you know, personally, both on the digital and the sustainable side. I mean, they go hand in hand. We're basically at this point where we have to redesign a trillion dollar global space to help keep planet earth in good shape. And we need youth fresh thinking to help us rethink the process. A company that I don't know if you've heard of them before or not, but I connected with a a company called the Anstec company up in York, Pennsylvania. And, and they do a great job, I think, of you know connecting with local schools and creating awareness around print. They're investing heavily into digital. We need to do more of that. One of the things I've thought about them is creating a more of a templatized approach to where, hey, a converter can sign up. They've got a kit. They can go to their local schools, roll out a program. It just comes down to bandwidth, but it's on my punch list. That is a really good idea. And, and one thing you know that we at Tilio Labs do selfishly is we we partner with two institutions, Clemson, of course, my alma mater, and then um, RIT is, is another big printing school on the East Coast that we've partnered with both of those programs. One program, Clemson, is, is definitely more focused around print, where RIT is both in their printing and their engineering. The side of RIT is has partnered with us to, to leverage software and understand how AI works and how it's being applied specifically for print. So yeah, I, I agree. More of that type of, you know, whether it's it's vendors like us or like you're suggesting, the printer converter. Yeah, just just going out there and marketing and, and sharing the message and providing some, you know, pro bono type work to just educate and, and inform. But yeah, uh, man, that would, that would be clever. It's part of the idea behind the brand of, you know, CMYK, DPD, you know, I really wanted to create a, a brand that we could eventually go to the, you know, universities with high schools with and like, make it something that looks fun to be part of that is very aligned with the times. So I don't think it's a question of if it's just a matter of when we get to the point that you know we execute on what I was just sharing with you. And again, it comes down to bandwidth. But I want to pivot because we're here to talk about Tilia 
Phoenix packaging and you know, it connects very much to what we're just talking about, which is talent, right? There's a lack of talent in the industry right now. We need to bring more talent in. What even if and when we do solve for bringing talent in, it doesn't necessarily get rid of the overarching issues across the country. There's shortages, they're not going to go away. You know, you look back to 2008, there were less people getting pregnant, which means in you know, four years from now, we're gonna have less people entering the workforce because there's just less people coming into the world 18 years from, you know, back from that point. So this issue is increasing. And, you know, it seems like Tilly has been up to some really exciting things when it comes to leveraging technology to reduce manual workload, free up those precious resources as it relates to your team to focus on higher value tasks and not have to get too bogged down with the monotony of, you know, processing artwork and getting it ready for production these are things, you know, my opinion that as an industry, we need to be moving towards so that we can work with our team to focus their energy in creating a better customer experience, being available for clients when they reach out. But would love to just hear a little bit about, tell us about Tilia. You know, I, I don't know much about the history, how they get started. What are you guys up to? And when did you get into packaging? Yeah, that's a good question. Definitely happy to share because we're continuing to you know, build our brand and, and share our message. There's, there's a lot of companies who've never heard of us. They've probably not heard of us mainly because we're, we are a relatively newer software company in, in the printing and packaging space. Just had our 10th birthday about a month ago. Yeah. Been at it for 10 years now. The company started the, one of our co-founders from Chicago, he was in mathematics and, and computer science never even knew anything about our industry. He was in a firewall, like really high high security type tech space. He was living in, in Japan and uh, Tokyo, working for a firewall company. And then um, our other co-founder, Sagan, he was in the industry. So he, he was an engineer. He's from Toronto and well, from, from Ottawa, actually. But uh, he was also living in Tokyo at the time. Uh, this is going back, yeah, 11 years. He was working at Fujifilm and was on their team, on their kind of dev and support team. They were both expats, you know, living in Tokyo, both spoke English. So they they started to yeah meet each other at the bar. And that's where they started kind of kicking around this idea. Sagan, who was at Fujifilm, you know, Fujifilm had a need, or, or at least in, in Japan, they were really trying to kind of push forward and still heavily are pushing forward into the packaging space. And they, they came from a, a very heavily commercial background. You know, as they started to enter that market, the one one thing that they their, their sales team really couldn't figure out when they're trying to sell into that space is they had their customers coming to them and saying, hey, we've got these CF2 like die files and we need to put graphics in, populate the die files with graphics and we don't have a way to do it. And that's kind of how the company started. Our CEO now and the co-founder, Sagan, just kind of hacked away at a solution early on and found a way to go and parse a CF2 file and populate some graphics into it and spun off the company. Partnered with Scott, who's the guy from Chicago. But yeah, they, they started the company when they were in Tokyo. And yeah, really since day one, we've been in packaging. Really? Okay. I didn't know that. So did they start focused on the packaging realm? Because I noticed that your tech stack serves commercial printers, wide format. What was packaging the initial form factor and or industry segment they were focusing in on and then eventually went into these other markets? Or how did that come about? Yeah, yeah. So that was that was really early on. They both left their jobs, took a chance, and been about you know a year or so in in development. Brought 1.0 Phoenix 1.0 to to market about a year later. This was around yeah 20, 2012 when when 1.0 came out, and it was yeah just at the start a tool to populate take a, an existing steel rule die or a rotary die so so labels and, and cartons and corrugated and populate graphics. A very simple program, and then. From there, it started to, to quickly iterate. From there, it, it became successful in, in selling just that. And then the customer started to ask, okay, well, our run lengths are, are getting smaller and we're getting more SKUs that we want to populate on these graphics. So now we don't just have one graphic, but we've got you know four or five graphics or SKUs 
that are going to be running on the same tooling. Can you can you calculate this for us? You know, because we're spending a lot of time trying to figure this out. We've got a die. We've got you know ten or twelve SKUs. How do we you know most cost effectively impose these these SKUs with their different quantities, different colors, etc. on a die? So that's where it, it started to turn our dev stack into not just like a simple program, but one that started to think, right? It's like, if we are solving that problem, we need to know a little bit more, right? About your costs and your production environment. But that was kind of the first like foray into solving this kind of planning, production planning problem. And then that became really successful, obviously, because uh, they, were, they were trying to do this stuff manually or in spreadsheets. And then it started to turn into, all right, well, we've got all of this steel rule tooling and you're you're now calculating the best way to impose with my orders. But now I want you to go one step further and we've got a bunch of different shapes. So we've got a bunch of different designs and we could use tooling that we've already purchased or these runs are really, really small. So we want you to actually figure out if we should create new tooling on the fly and you go and nest these, these shapes together on a sheet, or if we should use our existing tooling from our tooling library. So that's where you know we kind of took a step back and said, all right, well, if we're going to do that, we need to start developing a, a nesting algorithm. We could go and look for one. There's some off the shelf, some libraries out there, some commercial libraries, some open source libraries, but didn't find anything that really was was good for print, right? There's some like sheet metal ones and, you know, some pretty generic nesting algorithms, but none that that really kind of understood print and understood the constraints of printing. So we built it from the ground up and that really kind of sparked a lot of, of sales because now at this point we had had tech that could you know, impose on existing tooling and or generate new tooling for these really, really small runs, right? Which of course is perfectly suited for digital, right? Like there was no, really no imposition tool in the market that that was was doing that. So that then, you know, we still kind of stuck in, in labels and folding carton and corrugated with those features. But then we started to, to quickly pivot into utilizing this tech for wide format printing, who also needs true shape nesting to optimize material. And then that quickly started to move us into a space we never thought we would get into, which is, you know, like publishers and books, because we started to really dominate and tackle the, the wide format and digital wide format space because we wrote this, this nesting algorithm. And a majority of those like wide format customers also have, you know, conventional offset printing heat set, you know, web fed printing where they're doing a bunch of books and traditional commercial work that we never anticipated getting into. But here we are now, really anyone who's putting ink on substrate, we're tackling with, with one program for their impositioning and planning needs. A lot of thoughts are popping off for me here as, as you're sharing the history. And I love it in terms of just hearing an initial pain point, a problem that they went out and solved. And naturally uncovered more and more opportunity to chase down, which the first thought that comes to my mind is I'd like to just get your insight on it is it sounds like initially Phoenix launched serving conventional packaging. So when you, when you're referring to like the steel rule dies, and I assume also maybe printing plates too, you know, I was saying, Hey, if you could lay out, you know, maybe is it worth, you know, running off some new plates to gang up the art and actually print it side by side? Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, exactly. So Solving this problem in general, you're absolutely right. It's understanding the machinery, the equipment, the speed of the equipment, the changeover of the equipment, right? Because it, it takes you, let's say, an average an hour to change over your offset press. You have other factors of, of cost, right? Plates, like you're mentioning, stock. So what our algorithm is doing is, well, we're, we're modeling those costs and then running through permutations and looking at, do we gang this stuff? and overrun it by say 20, 30, 40, 50% because we're saving on changeovers and plates and blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, is, are we now overrunning too much where it makes actually more sense to, to introduce another changeover, right? And, and move this onto its own press run. So was this like initially in labels or what type of packaging formats? Yeah. So initially, yes. You know, going back 20, 2012, 20, between 2012 and 2014, was heavily focused on on you know 
folding carton and modeling the, the, the cost of conventional die cutting and conventional printing plates and setup and changeovers. And then on the, on the label side, Flexo really at the time where very similarly, you've got tooling, rotary dies, and you've got plates, you've got changeover, and you've got typically probably not as much as you do on folding carton, but still in Flexo, you've got quite a bit of, of opportunity to, to do ganging where you, of course, we're, we're keeping it in lanes on, on a, on a press to go up a web, but still um, a lot of scenarios where you're going to have multiple SKUs that are, are running on the same rotary die or tooling that can reduce changeover and save on plates. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about like how a packaging converter should think about, you know, the AIM positioning and the offering that Phoenix has become today from the standpoint of how do they need to set their business up in order to fully leverage the tech for what it, it does, right? I, you know, traditionally packaging is a quite complex buying and manufacturing experience. A lot of times there's over-engineered and under-engineered substrates that are in the market. You know, how much of that can be condensed to uh, simplify supply chain, simplify what I would assume is, you know, ganging via the production tools and, and benefits that Phoenix brings. But would love to hear, I mean, you've been doing this for a while. The company's been around for a while. What are, what are some of the, you know, practices that Tilia encourages converters to go through when adopting the technology in order to get the most out of it? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, and there's there's a ton of ways to to answer that, of course. But I guess I'll try and focus on where uh, we've seen the industry be most successful, and where we similarly, like environmentally, feel that we can kind of help you know reduce carbon footprint, save on waste, and and unnecessary changeovers and and just yeah trying to make the planet a better place and be greener is really conventional printers that and I'm talking more packaging and carton side of the world who have leveraged ECG or seven color printing right where you've you know we we know cartons and a, a lot of the the you know folding carton space is rumblings are getting smaller, SKUs are, are proliferating. You know, we've, we've heard this message for forever, right? And it's true. It really, you know, my generation, our generation, like wants 48 flavors of everything that we buy. So, you know, knowing that we're in cannabis and e-cigarettes, like the flavors, you know, it's just an endless number of packages that are really, really small runs. So where we've seen a, a ton of success is the algorithm can run or will run extremely fast, right? And it can look at running orders on different sheet sizes, ganging different things together, right? So it's like, you want to give the algorithm the biggest bucket of, of orders, right? And then you don't want to limit the ability to gang those orders to, to try and save on costs and changeovers, right? Like you want that press running for as long as possible. And you want to reduce changeovers and, and you want to gang as much together as, as possible. So one big constraint, of course, to ganging is printing spot colors, right? If you print spot colors and you have a 10 color press or an eight color press, it's like you can only print 10 CMYK and whatever spots you're, you're running, right? So you've limited and reduced the amount of ganging you could do. If you kind of rethink that and you say, instead of, you know, mixing inks and creating Pantones in, in, a, in a lab, let's just mix on press, right? Let's just run seven colors. Now we've, you know, significantly increased our, our search space of, of possible ganging combinations, right? So we've seen that be kind of a, a really big driver to allowing for, for, for more ganging. So We've seen we've seen that a lot in in the folding carton space where we're taking these really small runs, especially for smaller brand owners. And the printer converter is trying to go and tackle that market and grab those orders because small brand owners turn into large brand owners. But it's like they only want you know a thousand or two thousand you know of like ten SKUs, and it's like well, the only way to profitably do that because you're not going to go create tooling for a thousand little boxes, right? Nor are you going to, if you can fit, you know, 20 boxes up on a, on a press run, it's like, what are you going to run your press for, you know, a hundred, 200 sheets and set up your dive, you know, your, your box press for 200 sheets. 
No, but if you can grab a bunch of those, you know, smaller brand owners and smaller runs together, well, then guess what? We're not now creating a tool or a die for one carton, right? We're sharing and distributing that, that tooling cost amongst four or five brand owners. And we're sharing that press cost amongst four or five brand owners. So now you're running your press for, you know, you've got four or five, 10, 1000 order runs. And, and now we're, you know, sharing the cost of the die. We go from 10 make readies down to one make ready, right? Because we're ganging 10 orders together. On So it's like that, that type of mentality and selling towards that, knowing that as a printer converter could be dangerous, right? Because you can go tackle those and, and go grab up those smaller brand owners and, and grow them into large customers. It's interesting. What this speaks to me and says to me is that the technology has enabled conventional printers to serve the growing audience of SMBs without necessarily investing into new assets, which is a whole other topic I'd love to jump into if we if we get the time. But you know, tying this back to the, the conventional printer, you know, sheet-fed offset, I assume, is what we're talking about. And then you have traditional die cutting, you know, post-print, maybe some embellishing in between the two. Um, in this case, the conventional printer is going to go and buy plates that are designed to produce for maybe four brands on a sheet. Um, they're going to buy a, a die that is going to cut those cartons out of that master sheet. And then downstream, they're going to stack, you know, a couple thousand or 20,000, as you said, of job A, job B, job C, and job D. And then one by one, those will get folded and glued. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Just want to make sure I'm following the process. Yeah. So, so if you flip the switch real quick to like the label sector, I imagine it looks a little bit different in comparison to folding carton when it comes to the use of the technology and tying it to the manufacturing process, right? Um, would love to just hear like, what are you seeing from a label side where, you know, that's the segment where there's more digital press technology being acquired now every year than conventional. Uh, we're seeing more digital finishing coming into that market. Obviously, folding carton has a little bit of that going on. But you know, what are the differences that you notice between the folding carton operator and then the label operator, given the different downstream technology? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a that's a really good point. So, of course, we've been we've been focusing a majority of our conversation on on sheet fed conventional you know cartons, and and it's weird because that space. Although it, I, I see it, the, the trend uh, a bit a bit more now in into digital. Slow though, right? Like the adoption of digitally printed cartons, we just haven't seen like as much as we have. Like you're mentioning on the label side, um, certainly not not near as much as what we're seeing on the corrugated side, right? Like direct print corrugated, which was once all predominantly done flexo, is now primarily all done digital, right? It's like that and same with, okay, labels, it's not that it's completely switched over, but, you know, adoption has, has always continued to grow in, in the label space. Adoption certainly growing a lot in the, in the corrugated space, but yeah, folding carton space, not, not a ton. On the, on the label side though, where do we see the, the most, what's the value of, of the product there? Um, or of kind of rethinking and positioning and planning. We see, it's interesting because we we found ourselves in in a lot of label converters that are adopting digital, but still like that press isn't running a lot, and that digital press isn't running a lot because they are changing over the press. They're going from one one order to the next order, and every time they do that, digital is great because you don't have to make ready and, and wash up your plates and blah blah blah, but you still do have time in between, you know, each order that you're running, right? Like typically we will see that they're going to print, you know, 10, 20 frames in between each job because they're coming up to color or setting the die up or, you know, whatever, right? There's, there's a little bit of that, that wasted, you know, 10, 20 feet of, of material. It takes five to 10 minutes or so to, to switch, switch over, you know, from one, one order to the next. And the value of digital is like you can print really small runs, right? But if you have a lot of really small runs, well, you're adding up a lot of waste, right? And in a lot of downtime on on that digital press. So similarly, right? Like the algorithm is 
is trying to minimize that, right? Because the our, our algorithm is, is penalizing time where that printer is not printing, whether it's digital or conventional. So the way that you minimize that is by, you know, ganging things together. So, you know, a lot of times we'll see label converters on their digital press taking one skew and filling up the entire you know, print frame and then running that print frame and number of times to, you know, get to the customer's order because it's, it's just easy to do that. Right. It's like, it's hard to gang things together because a human has to sit there and, and do it and then calculate, okay, if I can get, you know, eight up on the die, I could do two across of, of this order because it's two times the quantity of this one. Right. And you do that times like a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 orders. It's like a human can't think about that stuff that quickly. So it's this is where it is, it's, it is mind numbing. And it's just like, that's why they end up not doing it. They just kind of FIFO, right? Like just one order per frame and fill it up and just print that thing 10 times or, you know, a hundred times and then we'll move to the next job. And it's like, okay, you're, you're defeating the purpose of, of digital, right? Like there's still make ready. There's still, you know, now you're spending a lot of time in, in rewinding and slitting, right. To, to take those four across and, and create one role. So our customers are finding a ton of value in Phoenix in our ability to grab the orders and the order quantities. Similarly, gang these orders together in, in lanes so that we're persisting you know, an order up the web instead of across the web so that you're reducing rewinding. You're, you know, now you've got, let's say, four or five SKUs across the web. Instead of four or five changeovers at you know, 10 or 20 feet of, of waste per changeover at 10 or 20 minutes per changeover, we've now got four orders running on on one one web right and then downstream we're saving time and rewinding and slitting because you're not having to put the stuff back together so you mean get rid of like a doctor machine where you have to splice crap together that sounds nice to me <laughs> so it's almost like uh you know why isn't everyone doing this right that that's what we're well, so let's about. why why isn't everybody doing it why isn't everyone doing it yeah because the technology is is new we don't you know we're we're a small company. It's it's hard to get the the message out there fast enough. But you know, virtually every everyone that we end up you know talking to, it takes about five or ten minutes to show them. Here's how you ran your job. Click go. Here's how you Phoenix is going to do it. And immediately we'll say, okay, we just saved you forty meters of of you know your role. That will usually justify the cost of. That's one job of your like, you know, hundred that you're doing a day. But um What's the adoption yeah. like? You know, like so you know, first you have why isn't everybody doing it? As you said, newer technology, a lot of people out there, a lot of companies have done it. Hey, we've done it this way for a long time. It works. When you're talking about the capabilities of the AI, that aha moment is when you do a demo and you show them the automation of impositioning and how you can go from stepping and repeating one job across an entire frame and instead of taking five jobs and throwing that into a frame. And then they obviously piece that together with downstream. We've now reduced a ton of complexity to manufacture one order. Is that is that typically the aha moment? It is, yeah. Or most of the time we would say, you know, send us your you know, last week's worth of, of orders work because they know how, how many rolls, how, how much material they, they used, how many clicks. And uh, we'll say, give us those same order quantities and the, the die that they're running on. And we can just pull the, the Excel document in, into Phoenix and click go and then run it. And it's, it's, yeah, that is usually the aha moment where they're like, oh, wow, you can gang all that stuff together. And we didn't do any of that, you know? But yeah, I mean, that's the aha moment where- What, where what, what other tech is needed on the front end before getting it to Phoenix to properly take advantage of Phoenix's offering? Yeah. What else is, is needed to invest into? It's actually like, you know, leveraging AI or, or AI just in general sounds like a very scary thing and hard, hard to do. But the software is it's like a it's like a calculator. It's it's actually very simple. And we we you know designed it knowing that it's you know we don't want this to be a hard problem uh, because it's sure it's a hard problem mathematically to solve, but for the for the user, it's like just dr drag your orders in. So we we have a way and well, 
for one, you set up your, your machine in, in Phoenix, pretty generic, like data that we're asking for. What's the machine? Is it digital, conventional? Is it web fed, digital? Is it web? Is it sheet fed? What's the, what's your cost per hour to run that thing? How long does it take you to change it over? So there's some basic, like, you know, enter in your press, enter in your stock. What's your width of your role? What, what's the cost per foot or number of ways to express the cost? That takes about, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes or so to, to set up initially. And then you're, you're not really changing your, your costing of, of, of your machines. Sometimes your stocks will, will, will change in cost a little bit. But from there, then it's give me your orders. I just need to know what, you know, what's the size of it? What's the die? What's the quantity? What stock is it going on? Drag that into the interface. It'll pop up and allow you to map your CSV or your Excel columns into Phoenix. Really simple. And then click go. So it's not like this, you know, I think there's also this kind of negative impression of, of software in our industry because it was designed a long time ago and it's clunky and a lot of times very expensive and hard to use. But it's like, you know, tech has moved so, so quickly and iterated so fast that, the, you know, newer tech companies like ourselves are sometimes for, for customers, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't. I didn't realize it, you know, it's that, you know, easy to use because they're so used to just older yeah. software in the space. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, that's kind of where the head typically goes in terms of just, you know, adoption, right? It becomes really challenging. But in the case of like Phoenix, you know, obviously what you just ran through seems pretty simple to me. The, the bigger challenge I see is converters getting their internal workflow and processes realigned to the tech in order to further leverage it. So, you know, when you look at it through that lens, like how long does it really take? What's a good time frame to set for yourself as a packaging converter when it comes to adopting this technology to say, hey, we've signed up, we know how to use it. We're now in implementation. How long does implementation take? And how long should a converter be expecting it to take for them to go from implementing to, hey, this is just part of our everyday life now. Is it six months? Is it a year before you're really getting there for you know the entire team's aligned to the process? I think a lot of the times what we see is like, you know, we buy software and we think it's just gonna immediately fix our problems. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. if the team's not being disciplined to utilizing it and figuring out how to pull it through the, the business, it's not gonna solve our problem. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And that that is a, a very valid point, right? Because you know we're over here developing the tech to solve the problem, but that's like you know a sliver of the rest of the problem, right? Like, okay, cool, you have software. It's it's a big problem we're solving, but it's like you know you telling me to do it this way and you creating the the files and sending them to my my rip or to my plate setter or my imager is like, you know, one tenth of the battle, right? The other like 90% of, of the battle is typically a complete transformation in how they were manufacturing before, right? And going back to like, why doesn't everyone do it? That's the reason because, you know, if we go back to the, the folding carton scenario, if we're ganging a bunch of stuff together, they were never ganging a bunch of stuff together before, right? Like they had one order on that sheet, that sheet would get printed, then it would move to the cutting department and they would cut it. Then they would pack that stuff up, right? Now you've got 20 SKUs on there. And it's like, you know, what do you, what do you do with it? You've never had 20 SKUs before, right? Or, or 10 SKUs or, or whatever. It's, you know, typically when, when we're going in there and talking about Phoenix and talking about the value of Phoenix, it's like, the, the other piece of it that a lot of companies do struggle with is the other like manufacturing, physical manufacturing part of it, as well as like, you know, how do we cost for this stuff? Like, how do we track costs, right? If, you, if you're telling me now I've got multiple customers on, on my sheet, how do on the back end, on the accounting side, I mean, you know this way better than I do, right? I've, I've always just been on, on the vendor side in, in a software company. It's like, we can tell you all these things that are on, on the sheet, right? But on the back end, you know, a lot of systems, a lot of ERP systems that were again developed 30, 40 years ago for the print space don't even understand this concept of, of like ganging a bunch of stuff together. Like, how do you go back and you know distribute your 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 cost and time to charge the customers, right? Like 
we are answering those questions for you. Like that's the other part of it. The kind of like you're saying, yeah, sure. It sounds simple, simple to do because it is simple to do for us to, to gang stuff together. You know, that is the kind of who's implemented this the best and in, in leveraged and in, in are, are seeing significant dollar values uh, of, of savings with, with Phoenix are those companies who kind of, you know, just re-engineered the way that they manufacture and the way that they're, you know, accounting for ganging in, in their backend system the best. Um, Does that mean, you know, investing into a new state-of-the-art, quote-unquote, ERP system where it's basically doing all that thinking for you? I mean, I would think the print IQs and the Tharstons of the world are able to marry up with the Phoenix to spread job cost out across five orders because they know, hey, we just printed one sheet. All the jobs got, you know, this job took 25% of the sheet. It's going to take 25% of the shop expense, labor expense, and print. And then, you know, it'll tack on and say, okay, well, now we have three other finishing departments or two finishing departments. So that job now will get job costed with the finishing department. So that's really where you're going to see the best adoption right now is if you're pairing the right ERP tool that is forward thinking, just like Phoenix is. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that, that that is fair to say. So, well, you named uh, PrintIQ and Tharstrom, both partners of ours, both wrote integrations around this, this concept with Phoenix for their customer base. We did the same thing with, with Serm on the, on the label side. And it's, you know, but then, then we have other customers that are, that are on very large ERP systems that, you know, they end up having to use their dev team to write their own, you know, integration because that, ERP system didn't know how to do this, right? So they they had to take the data from Phoenix and plug it back in themselves, right? So, but yeah, if you're if you're not on, you know, if, if you don't have uh, developers that that can do that for you internally in in your your business, then it 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 is a little bit harder to you know truly like reap all the benefits out of out of a system like this. But we also have customers that. Are using Phoenix to to do all of that and do all of the ganging and then create they're creating a report because there's so much savings in, in doing it this way that they don't want their ERP system to be the, the reason they're not doing it. So they just will look look at the report in Phoenix and just go and key it back in to their ERP system if if you know they just don't have the the know-how or or the the data resources to you know plug that back into the ERP system. But that is like the, you know, usually the biggest hurdle is is like the physical change in, in the, the the way that they manufacture because it's going to be different and a lot of ganging. Um, as well as like that kind of IT side and, and backend, you know, distribution of, of the cost. Sure. Um, so just, you know, tying that back to adoption, you know, if you've got, you know, a partnered ERP that Tilia has built integrations with, it would be common sense that adoption is going to be easier. You still have the, you know, internal, again, processes and workflow of adopting a new ERP. So, whether you're pulling a new ERP in, you're tying it together with an existing ERP to physically, you know, recognize the benefits of the tool and have the team fully leveraging it. Is it a six month time frame? Is it a twelve month time frame? What do you, what do you think? So, a good expectation to set if if I'm a converter considering going and and acquiring the Tilia technology. Yeah, again, re- good question. Um, so assuming that you either have the kind of know-how to utilize or pull that data back into the ERP system, or some some customers are just simply not pulling that back in their ERP system. They're just using Phoenix and, and ganging Phoenix, ganging with Phoenix and, and sending the print and cut files to, to their machines. It's I mean, for us, we we train for 12 hours remotely, very simple to set up. It's like it doesn't require a server, right? It, it runs on my MacBook or our customers, you know, just standard desktops. Sure. So f- for us, implementation-wise is, is very simple because it's just a standalone application. It's like Adobe Illustrator, but with costing. Yeah, I mean, and then then we have other customers, you know, so it, it could be very quick, right? Especially if you're, you're just trying to gang for, you know, digital labels, right? Like digital labels very easy, pull the data in, or just even type the, you know, drag your PDFs in for your labels, 
type the quantities in, click go, Phoenix will figure it out and, and export those files. But I mean, our, our customers, you know, that are implementing this at multiple locations and plugging this back into their ERP system. I mean, we've we've been working with, you know, customers that have been doing this for the last four years with us. They've rolled it out at one location. Now they move on to the next plant, right? Because it's the software is one piece of it, but they're, you know, changing and getting their entire, you know, production team to understand how to you know, manufacture under this new ganging scenario. So that's the um, harder part. Yeah, it's yeah. So I, yeah, I guess it just it really depends. You know, I would say, and you know, just tell me if you think I'm I'm out in left field, but I think that to set a real expectation, you should give yourself at least six months before you're realizing the benefit of the of the software. And I personally, I think it's closer to twelve because, as you just said, and we've been talking about now for a while the physical manufacturing process of taking the output from the tech and then leveraging that every step along the way it's hard that's the harder part of this is actually getting the team to embrace the technology to fully utilize it to not shortcut and work around it which is easy to do depending on your your environment and what your tech stack looks like and that's one of the things that i see is a challenge in the market is I think a lot of executives, you know, they, they make a commitment on investing into the tech, they expect instant results. And that's where there's room, I, I feel, to set better expectations, which ultimately would create a better experience for everybody that's involved. And, you know, taking that one step forward, you know, I think it's really important that, you know, I tie this back to culture and we, we started off our conversation around, you know, positioning your company as a tech forward, tech thinking, tech enabled business. It's really important to, set that foundation and help the team understand the why behind investing into tech and why we're going down this path so that we as individuals aren't in fear of our jobs. We, the last thing we should be thinking about is, oh, is this tech being brought in to replace me? No, there, we don't have enough people right now. So we have to bring in the tech to help us as a company stay around. But I think a lot of times there's a breakdown in communication um, by focusing in on those areas, it will help a company further embrace the tech implement it faster, bring feedback to the team and say, Hey, like you, you ultimately you want your team telling you, Hey, this is working. This isn't, this is why this is how we can do it better. And then I want to go back to Tilly and say, Hey, Tilly, can you help us actually maybe add something on your tool? Cause we came across an area in our process that, you know, is, could be better, could be enhanced through the tech. I mean, ultimately that's what you really want as a, as a business operator is your team funneling that information up to you. But that's a big shift on its own. And that takes a lot of time too. I'd love to just talk a little bit about just, you know, the digital mindset, conventional mindset, you know, what are the biggest, what, what's the biggest knowledge gap that exists right now between the conventional printer and the digital printer when it comes to embracing tech and pulling it through the business? Like, do you see a difference in thought process around the tech from the company who's really embracing that digital mindset versus still very much operating conventionally? Yeah, Definitely. And I, I would say even within industries, so or, or segments, I guess, of, of print coming from Clemson and then going uh, right in and working at ESCO, I was I was always very heavily focused on on packaging. So that's kind of that's really all all that I knew. And when you know when I when I came on board at Tilia Labs, found myself in a ton of of commercial printers because yeah, I mean we you know. Again, our, our our tech works in in all all segments. So that was really eye opening for me in in new, just in general, because the commercial print space compared to the packaging space, when we talk about automation, like they almost expect it, right? Like it's a totally different like mindset and expectation of software and, and impositioning compared to packaging, right? Like the the folks from the commercial print space are they are like they've always done gagging right like they've this is something they've they've always done you know like plates and in, in changeover now is very automated for them like they expect this this level of of automation so those types of customers kind of see see our product in and it's you know i don't know if they're just a, a little bit further along than, than the packaging space in, in that regard with pre-press that they see this and, and they immediately just embrace it and, and can implement it very easily. And they've got always like that kind of top-down drive for, for automation, probably because margins are, are so 
much smaller, you know, on, on the commercial front side compared to the the packaging side that it's like they're oh, you know, they they've always been fighting for that dollar. So, it is a different mindset than like the printer uh, or the the packaging converter who definitely has a lot higher margins, you know, just I don't know, it's not that like going back to what you were saying that that kind of top-down tech embracement and and implementation passion and drive just isn't as strong, I would say, as it is in the commercial space. It's an interesting point, right? I I go back to if you're in business as a commercial printer today, you had to digitally transform 15 years ago. Otherwise you died. Yeah. You're you're no longer in business if you didn't digitally transform as a commercial printer. So you know, this came up last week for us. We we do DPD Live, my co-host Sean Marsky and I, and we were talking last week about the the digital commercial printer and how much opportunity there is for them to enter the digital packaging realm. And the reality is, is that I believe commercial printers right now are better set up to enter digital packaging than conventional packaging companies are. And I pull that back to the organizational alignment to technology and how long they've been doing it. The hardest part of manufacturing packaging digitally is embracing the technology, embracing the digital mindset, understanding that there are workflows that can be much more beneficial to fully harness these forward-thinking assets. Most of these assets are capable of way more than the way the converter is utilizing them in in ways that the packaging industry is not even thinking about. But the commercial print industry is because they had to. And with lower cost CapEx into new new machinery, the ability for commercial printers to enter packaging today, I think is, is easier now than it ever was before from a capital standpoint. And the reality is, is that, you know, Digital packaging right now is, I think, north of 20 billion globally. You know, you've got tons of commercial printers that are set up across the country that are a few million dollar businesses. They could easily double their revenue with a small investment into the packaging space. Carve a nice niche. You don't need to be everything to everybody. You're getting you're getting me pumped up with with <laughs> my question was conventional versus digital. Printing. I know it was. And you I tied it to commercial. It. <laughs> well, but it's 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 spot on. It's spot on. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, to pull things together here and just kind of wrap up on, you know, catching up today and connecting, which I've really enjoyed this chat. There's so much more we could talk about, quite frankly, because, you know, when you start to peel back the curtains on the tech realm of packaging, like we're we're still at the, the early stages, we're still at the beginning and getting to connect with people like yourself, where the the thought process, the mindset, the energy is aligned, it's it's infectious. You can just go on and on about it. I want to wrap up with your thoughts on where do you see packaging going? Like, look, folding carton, great example. It is late to enter the digital print realm. Um, you know, I, there's reasons for that because you know the sheet-fed printing you can get low and and on on runs, and obviously your technology has enabled them to push out adoption of digital print. Yeah. Um, but I think that the same tailwinds in terms of buyer expectations will eventually hit that form factor too, where people want it faster. They want more flexibility. They still have minimums that aren't necessarily palatable for the smaller business because of how they're set up. When does digital move from a nice to have to a must have in your mind? You know, Is this five years out? Is it 10 years out? We're still in a place where, unfortunately, Competition in the market in terms of converters haven't forced one another to evolve yet. In certain markets and labels, they have, but even workflow wise, like I look at, you know, there's thousands of label companies who have yet to really evolve their customer experience to what the majority of the market wants. And, you know, in your mind, how, how long do you think we have before, you know, the packaging industry is operating in a completely different realm of, you're not going to be relevant if you don't have a better ordering experience. You know, go on your phone and just checking an order status update instead of having to send an email and ask your CSR, hey, is this, is this on time to ship? The ability to place a repeat order, 
and not have to pick up the phone or maybe even have your, your you know some sort of API between you know placing order on your portal and creating that PO in your system because your company requires you to create POs. A lot of these small businesses don't have to have you know a formal PO issued, but there are complexities with adoption of that buying experience. You know, when I think about digital packaging, it's to me, it's much more than just the manufacturing process. It's really about this new consumer and the experience they're looking for. And then you have the assets and the workflow. I mean, it's 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 a much broader spectrum today than it was five years ago. But I'd love to hear in your mind, you know, and nobody has a crystal ball, right? I can't tell you if it's going to be four years, if it's going to be six. What I can tell you is if you want to be a market leader, you need to start investing today because it takes years to go through a transformation. I'd love yeah. to hear your thoughts. Like when when do we go from it's nice to have this tech to you need to have this tech? You know, I think about what our industry has been been talking about with with the consumer, right? The the consumer right now is driving a lot of innovations in well, you know, not running really long print runs, right? Because SKUs are are proliferating, and that has has really kind of driven our industry to. Well, it's provided a ton of opportunity for our industry, but you know that 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 consumer that's driving a lot of that is our generation, the younger generation, that you know has this need for you know we 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 don't like the big box stores, right? In, in billions of the same thing, we all want like our own personal stuff, right? And that's at, that's the consumer level driving that, right? The consumer level that's driving that right now, who's out there buying products are going to be the ones that are running businesses that are going to be, you know, buying packaging pretty soon, right? And guess what? They're not going to want to order this same tooling that you've been running forever, right? And they're going to want just like they're a consumer now that wants a bunch of flavors of soda or beer or whatever it is, they're going to be running businesses and they're going to be needing packaging, right? And they're not going to think that you can only order this size, right? They're going to think just like they've been ordering for the last 20 years online that I need my boxes converted this way. I I need a label that looks, you know, in in this shape, right? So the the it's not just digital print too, right? It's like it's also digital finishing and cutting that is is going to be really the only answer to being able to tackle uh, ten to that you know generation that's going to be ordering from the packaging converter pretty soon. So it's hard to say, but it's it's right around the corner because look that. You know, we were the ones driving all, all of the the SKUs proliferating so quickly, and you can you can look over the past decade, like it's it's significant the number of of like flavors and brands that have have come, you know, have have come alive because of this, right? And it's like that's just going to start pushing into the into the manufacturer and into the the printer converter. I think when when the digital finishing starts to to catch up and in advance as, as quickly as the digital printing is. I think that's going to be a big game changer because that's going to just, you know, this right now there there's a, a bit of lead time for tooling and like this, you know, physical mechanical process of uh, dyes and stuff, which are going to be, you know, probably pretty quickly taken over by lasers and, and other things that will just make this on-demand kind of just-in-time manufacturing feasible for both, you know, print and cutting do you know that our the you know the generation mine yours the the one you know below us is is going to expect any shape any size any color like in two days and it's coming the question so, so what i hear from you is not exactly sure if it's five years seven years four years but it's not a matter of if it's it's a matter of when it is a matter of when yeah yeah and i think you, you hit the nail on the head right i spent a lot of time thinking and talking about the digital consumer um you know the digital consumer is the person that can go on their phone and find any product that they want that's personalized to their interests the children that are in their high school that are buying things online right now are going to know no other way than that. And those are the people that are eventually going to be occupying the seats of packaging buyers. They're going to have the same expectations as you said. And it's, you know, this movement began with the small business, but it's, it's starting to go beyond it. And there's a lot of 
hurdles in the way, right? You go to a medium-sized business, like I was saying, it's not as easy as, hey, you can just go online and order your packaging through a portal. I mean, it would be nice if it was that easy. And there are few converters that are offering that right now. There is tremendous opportunity for people to invest and offer it today. But you have to also think about my buyer needs to create that corresponding purchase order in their system. How do I make that seamless? You know, so that they can go on to the portal, order what they want, and then not have to duplicate work. Because the last thing they want to do is duplicate work. So maybe, you know, they can cut a PO, send it as a PDF, and you have AI that reads what their PO says, and you create, you know, the, the order for them. That way, who the heck knows? I mean, there's there's just so much to still figure out. But similar to you, you know, I, I have complete conviction that there's this massive shift taking place in the market. And either you can get ahead of it and, and be a market leader that took that early on risk and in steps in innovation. And clearly you see a company like Tilia and Phoenix that, that did that. Or you can wait. If you wait, then you have the potential chance of being like some of those commercial printers who didn't digitally transform. They're not around today. I don't want to be one of those. So that's that's really you know part of what fires me up. Hey, man, thanks for jumping on today. This was a ton of fun. I'm really excited to see where Tilly is going in the years to come. I, I'm big believer in the high con relationship, big believer in digital finishing, big believer that there's models that have yet to have been created in packaging manufacturing that people want today. They just don't exist. So the innovators that are going to go out and rethink the process and take advantage of the latest in tech and integrations and looking at software to hardware, I, I just, the high con you know, relationship that we didn't really get to talk about today. We'll have to reconnect and maybe do another uh, edition on, on DPD. I think that's a whole nother one to completely unpack. So thanks for making the time, man. Appreciate you jumping on. Yeah, of course. Thank, thanks for the invite and man, keep up the good work. We need to keep sharing the message and, and marketing our industry. So yeah, appreciate it. Hey everyone, it's Dustin. Thanks so much for listening to the show and being at the front lines of this new exciting era in digital packaging. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave a five-star review and a written review to tell us what you think. Thanks for listening and see you again next time.